Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today I have Thad Turner, and uh, all the podcasts that I've done uh, so far are people I know pretty well. Uh, this is probably the case, the person I, I know the best. Uh, just I've literally known him since I was born, so uh, uh, we're... Just by way of introducing Thad, he's uh, YMCA director at Warren YMCA, and uh, it's a pretty big Y as far as Ys go, right? What's, what's your guys' membership up there? Well, in the, in the Y world, we're not real big. We have about 5,000 members, about 190 employees. And, and you're the head director of the YMCA, right? You're the, you're the, you run the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, if things are going good, I am, sure. <laughs> and... Uh, and Thad also was a couple other things that you know we'll probably touch on in a podcast. Uh, Thad wrestled at the University of West Virginia. Uh, he was also a high school standout wrestler at Brookville, um, and then he went on. He had a uh, he was Navy SEAL for a long time, and then uh, uh, did some some other related work to that. Um, I, the first thing I want to talk about uh, is. As you went through those different things, right? You were you were a wrestler, and you tell tell a little bit about like your team back then. I know you wrestled for Nate Carr. West Virginia was, I think, you guys were a lot better back then than West Virginia is now as a college wrestling team. Yeah, well, hopefully they're going to rebuild to where they were, but it was kind. Of, they've had some down years recently. Um, back then, we were, you know, a top twenty team for most of the time that I was there, and um, had some. Some great coaching. Mark Cagle was my first assistant coach for the, my freshman year and was really great and, and kind of kept me in school. But then Nate Carr came in, and uh, at the time he was still wrestling competitively at, at 163 in uh, freestyle. I was the 158-pounder, so I had the um, fortune of being able to work out with him every single day. So. And, if, you know, just in case most people that are listening maybe know about Nate Carr, but just he was a – he was one of the – I think, and I think, you know, most people would agree, he was one of the best – probably the best American wrestlers ever, right? You put him in that, that elite group, I think that's fair to say. He was uh, Olympic bronze medalist. Um, uh, he was three-time NCAA champ. And just a really, like, standout of his of, – of that time, he was – and there were some other great guys in around that era, but he was one of the best. And I think in a really that small group of people, you'd say all-time great American wrestlers. So, uh, so he was your coach, and you were working out with him every day. Um, you were probably, I know from, from wrestling myself, you were in great shape then, a great wrestling You had to be, right, college wrestling? Yeah, I think, um, I think probably, especially my freshman year, that was the year that I really felt like, I mean, not my freshman year, I'm sorry, my senior year. I felt like that was the year that I was winning a lot of matches um, on on fitness alone, and was probably by far my best year. Unfortunately, that year I broke my leg. But well, you were you were nationally ranked whenever you broke your leg, right? Yeah, at the time I think I was ranked eighth in the nation, and I was wrestling the number two guy in the nation. And um, it was one of those things where my conditioning was really starting to pay off, and we were in the third period. And um, I was kind of closing the gap on him, and I think it was a down to a two or three point difference. And uh, and I tried to lift him and spin him and take him straight to his back, and my foot stayed planted in one spot, so my I broke my broke my ankle in that move. So. And that ended your that was the end of your 
call it wrestling career, right? Yeah. yeah. That was your senior year, so you couldn't. couldn't. That was it. Yeah, I'd already redshirted a year, so uh, we were quite a ways through the season at that point, so I didn't get to get to get a, uh, like an NCAA hardship or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, I, one thing you, you told me, I remember this from when I was younger and we were talking, I think it was when you were – I think you were probably active in the SEAL teams at this time when you said this to me, and I still remember this is what, how many years ago, many years ago, but I was, I was a kid, but you said, uh, I, I was like, wow, it must be in amazing shape. We were talking about that, like how hard to train, the SEAL training and long, and you, you know, how great a shape you're in. And you said, you said, well, it's different, like it's a different kind of shape, right, than the college wrestling. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? What are the differences between you know, you were in great shape in the SEALs, you were in great shape in college wrestling. You just said even for a Division One college wrestler, that was something you kind of specialized in. You felt like your conditioning was, was one of your best assets. So can you talk about the differences of those two types of, of conditioning? Well, yeah, I think, I, think, I, I think I've, you know, I've been in what, like, you know, shape where I could go out and run a marathon and those kind of things before. And, you know, then you step on the mat and you, you're totally exhausted. And then there's you know swimming kind of shape. You can get get guys that are, that um, get in the water, and even guys that are in great shape, they get exhausted in the water. Um, I think maybe the seal shape conditioning was more well-rounded or more complete. Even though I felt like I was in incredibly good shape to wrestle when I was a senior in college. Um, oddly enough, the guys that the most likely guys that make it through buds training is uh, our wrestlers and then I think second to that is college swimmers but wrestlers are by far the most likely to to make it through yeah and uh what do you think is, is so there is some similarities or do you think it's more the mental aspect I, I honestly think it's more the mental aspect than it is the, the physical aspect I think wrestlers have a mentality to keep going or are used to being uncomfortable, whether it's because they lost weight, um, it's used to them having kind of a discipline to keep going when, you know, other people quit. I think that has more to do it do with it than the than the physical conditioning of of SEALs and, and wrestlers. Well and you you've worked with some college wrestling teams, right? I know you, you uh, with with Kerry Colat when he was when he was coaching and uh, and some, some other teams, and, and um, uh, I know my former coach was interested in having you work with them, and, and, and he thinks that that's a big aspect of, of, of college wrestling, too, though, that mental part that you're, I think that you're talking about. is Can you talk a little bit about that, about how you work with the, the college wrestling team and how you think that that may actually help them in, in wrestling to get kind of that, that – Maybe the let's let's say maybe maybe this is a good way to put it like a more of the, taking a little bit of that mentality that the seals have and use. Yeah, I feel like that what I do the times that I have worked with some wrestling teams, I feel like I've probably done more, hopefully to help them as a team than I have as individuals. I think you know if you have somebody on a team like a Kerry Collard or somebody like that that's just going to be exceptional. They probably have a lot of those aspects, that mental toughness and all those kind of things that go along with it. Um, some of the stuff we do, in, it's real simple stuff. It's not anything that's really, you know, scientific. It's more just, hey, just being able to push yourself, being able to go as a team. Um, I know as a, as a coach for a high school team, if 
how important it is that everybody on the team, even though people sometimes see wrestling more as an individual sport, how everybody on the team can go so hard. And I think then it tends to make everybody push themselves a little bit harder. And I think that's kind of what more of what I do with uh, teams ends up doing, just pushing people beyond where they think they can go. And that's, that's what SEAL training did. It, it just pushes people way beyond what they are normally ever used to being able to do. And um, I think one of the things that's different than SEAL training than most of the training that I've put people through, whether it's corporate people or teams, um, one of the things that's different is in SEAL teams, you can, they want you to, they're trying to, constantly trying to talk you into quitting. And that's a mental aspect too, if you have somebody the entire time pushing you, and at the same time they're telling you, you know you can quit, all you need to do is quit. And um, I try to build a little bit of that into the, uh, into the wrestling team element, but of course I don't want them to quit because I want them to stick it out through the whole training. And then that's where you try to bring in other, other teammates to try to help them. But it's interesting, at the beginning of all those trainings, you'll see little clicks that the teams are in, whether it's you know a group of the more veteran wrestlers or the senior wrestlers or the guys that are good or, or the guys that are, I don't know, maybe more popular on the team. By the end of the training, it, it really does gel a team into uh, sort of more a cohesive one, one unit. And I don't really know why other than everybody just has to push it in together. And that's kind of the SEAL team mentality is, you know, I have great SEAL buddies that, that I, I enjoy being around and I have other SEAL buddies that I really don't even like. But when we were working together as a platoon and a team, um, everybody was in it together and there was no question of, of whether the guy liked you or not or whether, you know, whether he was your buddy outside of work. It was just that's what you did and that's, that's, that was the unit you were in. I think that's been the, that's been the strength of SEAL teams throughout the years. And and you think that like to to ex try to understand that in the context of of the like the wrestling team? Do you think that that's that allows them or makes them push push themselves more because they have that if they can develop or when they develop that team mentality? Without a doubt, that's I think that's really what you're trying to get out of it is that that everybody individually is pushing themselves that much harder. And then I think if you can translate that into not just during a match or during a competition, but also during practices, you know, and I think that's where, where you know, talking back with Colot and C.D. Mock down at NC State back when they were there, I think that was what they were more interested in getting, you know, this kind of like turning, it, turning each guy into, for lack of a better word, into a hard man. And um, that's what they were trying to do. And I think, I think we moved in that direction. Maybe we weren't, you know, 100% successful with every guy that was there, but we definitely moved in that direction. And you, I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me because you see teams, you know, that are always good, right? Like yeah. you see these college wrestling teams, and it's the team, right? Yeah. You can go there and, and maybe the, the, the individual, that, maybe the individual, there's all, you know, they get great recruits or superstars, or maybe it's somebody that, wasn't that a great – I think my team at Lehigh was a great example of that. You know, you took a guy like uh, Dave Esposito, for example, that was never won a state title in New Jersey mm -hmm. and became – I think he was the best takedown guy of his 
college years, you know, for the four right. years and, and see right. a runner up and stuff. And, but he had all these great partners around him, you know, he had Ryan Bernholtz and, and it was such a, a team, you know, everybody pushed each other. And I, I, you know, I didn't think of it in that context really until just now when we're talking about it, but I, I see that and that makes sense. Another great example and another credential I forgot to mention about, I mean, that I could keep listing them. I'm sure the credential will keep coming up different ones, but uh, you coached the state championship high school wrestling team. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to, to literally kind of, for probably lack of a better word, uh, inherit the team. Um, I was the assistant coach and um, a, re a very good coach and also coached by my dad, Lenny Ferrero, passed away during the season. And so the next season, um, I had a fantastic team. And kind of what we were talking about just kind of falls right into place is that that team was a team that was an example of a really highly, highly talented team, but just needed kind of forged a little bit harder. You know, they need to be a little bit harder still than they were. Yeah, and if I, if I can interrupt, because I have, I was on the team previous and I knew all those guys, you know, my brother Randy was one of the, the, the on the team and, uh, and I knew all those guys on the team. And Without saying anything negative about them, because they were, you know, they're good guys. I still most most of them I, I still keep in touch with. They were they were, you know, like like the word that goes around now. They had a lot of big egos on the team, right? Is that is that fair to say? I think like I, I think cause, because they were very good. They were these high school wrestlers. I mean, look at uh, Jeremy Wrights was a cadet world champion in Greco Roman, right? You know, and and these other guys are you know multiple time youth champions, winning everything, mm -hmm. and and you know it's a small town, so it's. You know, there's there's these big, big all like contending egos, and I think that the problem with that group up until then, and you took over and kind of made that like team cohesion, but that was the big challenge. It seemed like to me, you know. Yeah, I needed to keep that. that team together after a, you know, a tragic loss. They all really, and rightly so, thought extremely highly of Lenny, and so you know, I had to try to keep that team together. My biggest thing that I wanted to do on that team as a coach, and it might sound like it's not a very high goal, but I wanted to be the best conditioned team in the country. And I know there was no real way to, to, um, to gauge that, but what we wrestled at um, Ironman, we wrestled in Reno, um, probably two of the best tournament, high school tournaments, and we, we won in the third period, even when we didn't win the matches we still won in the third period. And we started looking back at statistics on third period. And we even, even guys that were way outgunned talent-wise were actually either holding their own in the third period or winning the third period. And um, that was our goal right then. And, and it was really neat to see guys, and even some of those guys that were, were really the stars of the team, that was really what I was trying to get, get out of them was let's go to another level here. And your next level, yeah, you, you want to work on your technique. Technique's incredibly important. But, but your technique is where, where it should be at the level you, need, you want to go to. But let's make sure your conditioning is at that same level, too. And what are some, what are some things you did with that team specifically to build, uh, to build that conditioning? I know you talked about getting team cohesion and then pushing each other. Uh, were there any specific uh, things that you did to, to get that that the physical part of it in the third period? Yeah, I think one of the things that, that's really great, if you're talking about trying to build toughness and build, 
build uh, mental toughness at least, which I think goes right along with your physical toughness is, is never having an ending point. I think one of the things that really makes it easy for somebody if they know they have an ending point, then they shoot for that point. One of the things in SEAL training that made it so difficult was you never knew, knew when any evolution was going to end. So as you, as you pushed yourself, um, you, you didn't know what, you didn't know how to meter it. You just had to keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, another saying that's, that's probably way overused in SEAL teams and maybe now outside of SEAL teams is it pays to be a winner. If you didn't keep up and you didn't hold your own and you didn't keep up with your team or where you needed to be or where you needed to be expected to be, you paid for that. And you paid for it because everybody else went home and you stayed and kept working out. So those kind of mentality. Um, and, and, and you can you can mentally talk someone into being tough. You know, I think you can, you can put, put such a value on being tough that, that they want to achieve that, you know. And I think that's what happened to those guys. You know, I didn't, my goal, my goal and our coaching goal was to make us the best conditioned team. But we made that very clear to them. So we articulated that constantly. And I said that to them. We are the best conditioned team in the country. And they took pride in that. And I just got together with some of the guys a weekend ago and they talked about we were the best conditioned team in the country. That's still a thing of pride for them. And I think that's like, you know, you're saying we were the best conditioned team in the country where that was your goal. And the objective proof of that actually may have happened in a match, right? Like another, just going back to that, that season, uh, not only were you guys a state championship uh, dual meet team, but you also beat the number one ranked team in the country in a dual meet as well, right? Yeah. Like, and, and so that, that, that can kind of, you know, it's not just empty, like, we, you know, we want to be the best in the country. That, that you guys really were, uh, in, in that match, there was a lot of, uh, a lot hinged period. on that third, on those third yeah. periods. Yeah, third period. You know, you look back on that match, which was a long time ago, and not try to bring up ancient history, um, but, but yeah, a lot did hinge on the third period in that match. And, and um, even, even the guys that lost, you know, it was so important that they were able to still hold their own in the third period and keep from, keep from giving up big points. So I think, you know, and I, I don't think it just translates. I mean, we talk a lot about wrestling. I think it translates a lot into um, any sport. You know, I've, I've worked with other teams and um, I think I think it can translate well into any sport or any competition. Uh, it's just it's just an attitude. Um, maybe that's too vague, but but I think it's being able to push yourself if you're training somebody not to, not to give them an endpoint, not to tell them. I think you can play it back and forth because once in a while I think you want to be able to say, "Hey, we're going to do so many of these, and then we're going to be done," and hold and hold your word to it so that you don't lose your validity as a coach. But then I think other times. You just say, we're going to go. We're just going to keep going. And uh, you keep going, you keep going. And, you know, it kind of got to be almost a cliche on a recent Nike commercial where they said, one more, one more, one more. But that's what, that's what it was, you know. It was just one more and trying to push yourself that one bit harder. And then when you, when you did get into the match and the competition, you, you kind of went in with a mental attitude knowing that, I'm in better shape than the guy that's standing across, you know, I'm standing in front of me right now. And I think that gives you an edge throughout the match even. Yeah. And um, that, you know, you mentioned also about 
the physical part of conditioning and some of the other and, and you, that you've coached other sports. I know some of the other sports that now you're involved in are, um, you know, the endurance racing and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, as an organizer, the two day tango up in Warren uh, is is a race. It's a uh, like a like an adventure race kind of thing, right? Like yeah, it's, a, it's an adventure race with some more defined. It, it it's more defined than than some of them, like the. It was kind of around a long time before the Tough Mudder and all those other ones that came out now. It was started in 1998, I believe. So it's been around for a while. And, and no, that kind of training, uh, for I know you've done it several times, and, and that's a different kind of... I mean, it's not different, but it's a different kind of shape for sure than, than wrestling, which is, you know, people see as like a, you know, maybe a more of like a sprint. And then you have these day-long events. Mm -hmm. um, what, are, what are some of the differences uh, in the training? That, uh, do you think the mental – first of all, I guess I'll ask you, do you think the mental, the me that mental attitude that you just talked about translates across both of those types of endurance? I, I think it does. Um, I think um, like, like now, and I'm certainly not in the shape that I would – I guess you're, I never feel like I'm in the shape I want to be. But now, I've, you know, I've really got it down to, when I talk to people about fitness now, um, just general fitness, I talk about really only needing two elements in it, consistency and intensity. And when I talk to them about that, I think that translates into whatever you're trying to train for, whether it's you're training for a marathon, whether you're training to be able to run a mile, whether you're training to be able to compete, you know, in a wrestling match or in a grappling match or whatever. I think it's all about consistency and intensity. Um, I tell people, you know, to, to use the, the analogy of like, you have these people that come in and they go real hard, but then you don't see them for a month or they kind of like fall, off the, fall off the whole workout wagon for a while. Then they come back in. They don't have any consistency and then you see these people that come in and they're there every day but they never push themselves to the point where they're completely completely past what they can go what they think they can go and so if you can combine those two elements it maybe sounds like you're oversimplifying it but if you can combine those two elements into into your workouts just a, just a consistency and an intensity I think I think that's the whole key and I don't I don't think I don't think I don't think you could be training to be a tennis player. You could be training to be a you know world champion boxer. It really wouldn't matter. And uh, so, in in your in the adventure racing in the physical training, uh, it's it's that you're saying you have to have both those elements: the intensity and the consistency. And uh, I think that's a that's something that you know would translate to a lot of our audience too. You know, you see, I think one of the biggest problems with, with MMA training is inconsistency. I think the intensity is there a lot of times, but then the consistency is not there. Yeah. And, and I would say for a lot of my, a lot of the students that are maybe not competitors, I think it's the opposite, right? They're, 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 a lot of them are very consistent, but there's never any intensity. So there's that, you know, if you could marry those two elements, like what you're saying, I think, I think I would, that's something I would think would help a lot of our listeners. Um, shit, I wanted to shift gears a little bit. We were talking about physical training. Uh, you mentioned that your, your father and, and my grandfather was, uh, you know, coach wrestling too. He's a hall of fame coach. Uh, maybe have him on the podcast sometime, but, uh, um, I wanted to ask you too, what, and this doesn't have to do with wrestling or anything necessarily. 
what's what's the best thing that your dad taught you? Um, I think just he's just an honest, kind, considerate individual. I mean, I think that's the best thing he taught me as far as as far as wrestling goes. Um, you know, sports. He taught you always to try to be humble and and try to you know not not be a showy and and I think that's kind of changed a lot and that, that maybe that's not as valued as much as it used to be but that used to be a a big element of of what we we learned when we were in wrestling I think one of the other thing too is is it you know at least as a coach I, sh I saw him and I think this translates to life and caring about everybody and being fair to everybody is that you know you coached everybody he was definitely somebody that not that didn't just coach the good guys I, you know, he gave the same amount of time to everybody, whether they were the good guys or the guys that were out there just kind of slogging through and trying to make, you know, make the team. And um, I, I think that in life can translate to just treating treating people decent. So I think that was a big part of part of all that. And I certainly didn't want to quit. One of the goals I made in SEAL training was that I didn't want to come home to the farm until back back home until. I had finished SEAL training. A lot of guys go through boot camp and through a school in the Navy and then take, a, take leave and then go to BUDS SEAL training. I went uh, straight through because my goal was not to come home until I had completed SEAL training. So that was a motivation. And I think that was kind of, you know, part of my mom and dad and, and what, what was important to me and, you know, that still is. And and they gave you that motivate you you found that motivation not to quit yeah. because of because of them yeah and I guess in a in another kind of smaller sense too he gave me the idea of he recited poetry all the time when we were kids and um, that was my that was my go to to get through things in seal training a lot of guys would uh, try to get to the next meal there was all kinds of head games people would try to play to make it through some guys just simply counted. Um, I would uh, say poetry, and I had about, I don't know, maybe a dozen poems that I knew by heart at that time, and I would just, they would just go over and over again in my head. So and that was, that was definitely from Dad. Well, what was your, what was one of, what was your favorite, what was some of the ones that were, one of Well, I, I mean, it's, it's become almost cliche because you see it on all kinds of graduation cards and so forth now, but Roger Kipling's If. Oh, yeah. is it you know one of the greatest uh, and then then there were more story poems by Robert Service and and you know some of those but he go go through a bunch of different ones and just keep saying them over and over in your head <laughs> and uh, so another topic that you know you're uh, the since you have a lot of experience in the SEAL teams and and other stuff uh, also you, you guys can now see uh if you guys watch Blacklist, uh, <laughs> Dad's on the on the show, The Blacklist. If if you watch it, uh, you're on. What is that? The you're on another show too, right? You're consulting. I've for, done a couple consulting for for Madam Secretary, but yeah, my Blacklist stuff is mostly real quick consulting and a little bit of stunt stuff. But I've, I've seen you on the show several yeah. times. You're on you're on most episodes, I would say, right? Like and I started watching. I'm on about. I think I've been on about a. I don't know, 14, 12 or 14 episodes now. But 
Some of them you have to really be watching close. <laughs> I, I always see it. You know, it's easy to see for me. But uh, I know some of the some of the guys at Stout Training. Since I've told them to, they always they always give me the update. They're like, "Oh yeah, I saw him again on, on, on the blacklist." Like you'll come in and you know, like, uh, like knock knock down the door and shoot. You know, be the first one to enter in and shooting and stuff like that. Um, so. That that was what I, I kind of wanted to just just kind of finish up the last topic. Uh, a lot of people talk about you know self defense, and you know we talk about self defense as far as uh, I don't love that term as far as you know, and that's not why I personally the main reason I, I do jujitsu, but I think that's that's part of why a lot of people do. They think it makes them maybe makes them safer in certain ways. Uh, I, I wanted to just see what your take is. On, on the idea of self-defense, we were chatting before the podcast a little bit about situational awareness in, you know, mainly in the context of like other countries and things like that and dangerous, how quickly dangerous situations happen. Um, what is your take on, on just that idea of people, you know, when they talk about self-defense and things like that? Well, I don't claim to be an expert on that, but um, I, guess, I guess the main thing that I've seen is, uh, again, like situational awareness. Um, People knowing they're in a situation. I always tell people before they start a fight, if they if the, they should say they should literally say to them, "I'm in a fight." I've seen some great guys. Some I've seen SEAL Team guys that have had all kinds of you know whatever you want to call it, self defense or whatever training. Really tough guys get beat because they didn't know they were in a fight until it was too late. And I think that's part of situational awareness. Know you're in danger. Know you're in a fight. Um, you know, knowing, knowing when you need to fight your way out of a situation or you need to, you know, I, I think most people win fights, um, because of violence of action almost more than anything. They're the, usually the most violent person. They're the first and most violent person. You know, I think that's part of it. I, I worry about people feeling overconfident in a self-defense situation, um, um, because I don't, I don't know that, you know, people that train once a week or something is, are going to be able to really win a, in a, in a situation where, you know, they're, they're outgunned in a self-defense type of situation or an aggressive situation. So I don't, I don't know. I don't really claim to be an expert in that field, even though I've actually taught, <laughs> taught that kind of stuff before. Well, I mean, I, mean I, I think... I think if, if you can say anybody's an expert in it, I think you, you have expertise in certain, you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're saying who is an expert, you know, if you've got, if you, if you've gotten in, you know, uh, for example, if you had like, let's say I had 15 wrestling matches, that doesn't make me an expert in wrestling. Cause you know, I mean, we've, we've probably both had hundreds and hundreds of wrestling matches, but if you've had hundreds and hundreds of fights on, you know, and, and on the on the street, there there's something wrong there. You might yeah. like reevaluate. So you know, I think yeah. you have more expertise than almost yeah. than than most people in that, and also like I would you know maybe term it different. Like instead of self, I think self defense. What people a lot of times are really talking about, they're talking about fighting. Yeah, know? like it, fighting, and I, mean, I think I think those things, the two ideas are not quite the same thing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, maybe personal protection would be a better term. Like yeah. that that might be something that you. I think like speak, like speak yeah, on I, that I, I think a little bit I think you know like your situation dictates kind of what you have to do I mean if you're if you're in a you know the classic barroom fight that's different than being in a fight you know I've been I fought my way 
out of a lot of situations as far as uh, you know, SEAL team type stuff goes or, or work, other contract work or other work after that. Um, but it's been a whole lot different than, you know, getting into a fight, you know, on the street or whatever. And, you know, I've had a few of those too. But, <laughs> but, um, but uh, that, you know, most of, most of what the, the fighting was. And so that's different. And, and the training that, that I've done, the people that I've trained with, you know, that's a big thing is being able to identify, again, going back to being able to identify the situation, you know, and it's not, you know, people have that idea that there's, you know, some super great fighter that can, you know, beat five guys up at one time and all that other stuff, and that, that stuff just doesn't work. So, you know, being able to understand when it's time to fight your way out of a situation, um, those kind of things are probably more important than, you know, and, and, and like anything, if you're not training in something and you're not staying in shape and you haven't stayed on, on the edge with that, it's going to be tough to, to use it when it's called upon. So. And, and you mentioned one, I guess, you, you know, actionable example. You, you like, if you get in a situation, you should have to say, you, you almost say, like, you, you say the words to yourself, like, I'm going to fight right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, do you have any other like t- like practical tips as far as t- for somebody how to maintain situational awareness? What what would be a tip to maintain situational awareness in a situation where they might be in, they could get in danger? I think I think you can almost make sort of a you know I don't want to say a game of it, but makes you have to kind of make it as part of what you do. You have to be able to look around and see the situation around you. Notice people that are doing something that that's out of the ordinary. Um, I think once once you're in some kind of an altercation, being able to to like I said, say say you're in a fight, um, be able to get your hands up in front of you. You often see people just you know lose a fight because their hands are down at their sides. You know, get your hands up in front of you, um, deciding whether you want to be on the aggressive side of it or whether you want to be you know try to to cool the situation down and get out of there. Um, seems to be the best technique, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, not to quote Shakespeare, but beware entrance into a quarrel, but being in, bear it that the opposed may be aware of thee. So, you know, if you're in, if you're in, you don't want to get into the fight, but if you're in the fight, hopefully they're afraid of, you know, they know that they're in a fight. So I think that, that's, that has a lot to do with just generally staying in shape, generally being aware, you know, it doesn't matter how, how aware you are if you're in terrible shape and you can't can't defend yourself. Someone's going to be able. To, so that that has a lot to do with it too. Um, and then what? This is the last thing to finish up. Uh, uh, we were talking to earlier today about uh, another um, uh, former SEAL that has a re- you know really successful podcast that I listened to and a book and you know Jocko Willink has the has the and I remember. On his interview that kind of started him out, uh, the, yeah, I think it was a Tim Ferriss interview that, that got his podcast rolling. And Tim, Tim actually told him to do a podcast and everybody was cl- you know, wanted to hear more of it. And uh, he said in that podcast, he was like, I forget whether it was a question, but he said, well, what, what's, what's a, what should a, uh, like a man do? What, what's important in your life to do? And he said, well, if I had to pick just three things, I would say... Uh, be a father, go uh, do, he said jiu-jitsu, but I'd say, say grass, some kind of a grappling uh, sport, 
and go to war. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely missing the, the last, the last one of those. I never. Uh, 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 hopefully, hopefully, yeah. At, my, at this point, I hope I don't get to do that. But uh, I mean, but the the other two, uh, and we just we talked a lot about the 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 second the grappling and wrestling or jujitsu. You know, I, I do jujitsu now, but uh, wrestling. But um, the last one. Uh, you're you're a father too, and uh, what I know a lot of our listeners are. Um, what did you, what did you learn in the SEAL teams uh, that made that you think did you think that made you a better father? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, yeah, we got we got. I think I don't know what I don't know what I'm gonna get you on the podcast again. So we got to ask. I think um, I think one thing there was um, you. You know, I, I, I think I expected my kids. I think in SEAL teams, you kind of expect your teammates and the guys that you're with to be able to deliver and to be able to do what, they, what they're supposed to do. I, I always expected my, and I see this maybe even more as a YMCA director than anything, is that I expect my kids to be good, decent people. And they were... And I, I see people that, that have trouble, and I know that every kid grows up different, and there's all kinds of different situations. But, you know, when I see kids that are really in, have a lot of trouble, is it a lot of times I feel like, not always, because there's been some great dads out there, but a lot of times I feel like, you know, the, the expectations weren't there. And um, maybe that's part of it, you know, being able to expect a lot from, from somebody and, Without, without, I never, I guess, you know, people expect, you hear these guys talk about, you know, oh boy, I bet you're, and, and my daughter and my son say to me, they, people all think I'm some real strict dad. I'm not at all, but I've never really had to be because I've just kind of expected a lot of my kids and they've always been good, decent kids. And uh, I've been blessed that way. Maybe more blessed than, than anything I did, but. That's probably the only thing. I'm not as smooth as Jocko, though. He's been doing this kind of stuff a lot longer than I have. <laughs> so. with, with his, yeah, his answers are all yeah. like, he, he, it's like the delivery is just Yeah, just he's, he's going to be a lot smoother than I am. And he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of experience. And he's, he's got a lot of experience in SEAL teams, too. He's, he's really highly respected, so that's good. Well, I think, I think no, what you just said there, though, is, um, you know, you said you expect a lot and they they recognize that but i think maybe it that's like a two-way thing right like that why somebody could you know um uphold expectations right why does somebody feel the need to uphold expectations because they know that it would be reciprocated right like they know that they know it, it for some way it was communicated to them that that you know, oh, I have these high standards, and why should I follow them? Because I fall the same way, right? Yeah. Like that—that's—that's yeah, that's what I see from, from. I would hope so, yeah. And I don't, and I don't try to, I don't try to make my kids think I'm some kind of a angel or saint either. But, but I also think they know that, you know, I can count on them, and they can count on me, and and that. Really, that's what I meant. That yeah. reciprocation. Of yeah, that. And that's right. what you it can was. count on somebody, yeah. and then they'll say, okay, well, th- yeah. that's that's what I was trying. And to I say. hope all the people, you know, I would hope the people around me knew that. But that was a big thing in SEAL teams was counting on people, and and if you lost that in SEAL teams, you weren't going to be in a SEAL team very much longer. 
you know, that was a thing that once you lost... The ability for people to count on you, is yeah, that what you that, mean? that trust? Yeah, or you, were, you were done as a SEAL. And probably anything else, because I think there's all kinds of crazy SEALs out there that, you know, have had great success and some that have had, you know, done some pretty crazy stuff. But I think it, at the point that they were op operating as in their platoon, they definitely had everybody there counting on them and they could count and everybody could count on them. And that's kind of, I think that's maybe maybe the main strength in SEAL teams and I think that's what can translate into life and you don't find that a lot. You don't find that outside your family and you know very close friends and I think that's what makes it hard. I think that's why a lot of SEAL team guys have a hard time when they go out and get into regular work and they find out that you know a lot of people they're working around aren't aren't that same kind of mentality and you talk you talk to guys that have trouble that's often what it is. Well, that's uh, we're gonna finish up with that, but um, just thanks, thanks. That was uh, uh, I, I don't think I mentioned that Thad is my uncle too, and we've <laughs> so that's why I said at the beginning I, I I've known him since I was born, I guess. Uh, one of my first memories is uh, when you wrestled in the state wrestling tournament. I think I was like one less, a little less than one and a half. I remember uh, it was one of my first memories I can still remember. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, that was great, and I think there's a lot of a lot to think about, a lot of actionable tips there too for anybody that does jiu-jitsu uh, or, or wrestling uh, or, or anything really. I mean, we touched on, uh, you know, teamwork and things like that that can apply to uh, just about anything. Uh, so thanks for taking the time to talk on the podcast today. All right, thank you.